This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back, everyone. Today on the Joseph Carlson Show, I want to have a discussion about what I see as the most compelling and by far the most profitable investment strategy of this year. So the most profitable investment strategy of 2020 seems to be investing in unprofitable companies. That's basically the strategy. Specifically, you look for companies where there's a high disparity between what they actually earn and the current valuation of the company. The bigger the distance between those two things, the better investment. We look at companies like Shopify, Tesla, Zoom, Square, Nikola, NIO, these type of companies where they don't really earn a whole lot of money, but they have a really high valuation. This seems to be where where things are at right now. This seems to be 2020. These companies have gone up a tremendous amount this year. I think this is interesting to look at this amount of wealth creation with these type of companies. So we're going to be looking at the strategy. I'll be giving my thoughts on it as well as referencing some other people's thoughts on it. Uh, I think this brings up a broader discussion of what a company actually is. What are you buying when you buy something like Zoom or Shopify or Square? What is the function of a company? So we're going to be talking about that. We also have some news. TikTok is back in the news. Amazon recently sent out an email to all of their employees saying to delete the app off your phone. And then later that day, they said, just kidding, that email was sent out a mistake. So I'll be talking about that, uh, as well as we have my latest trades. And then, of course, we have lots of other things, emails and different news to get into as well. Okay, so let's first jump into this investment strategy. The first example we'll look at is Tesla. We got news here that Elon Musk is now worth more than Warren Buffett. That is right. Elon Musk has a greater net worth than Warren Buffett. If we look at the billionaire index here on Bloomberg, it has Elon Musk in number seven of the richest people in the world, $70.5 billion. And then we have Warren Buffett way down here in number 10 with a measly $69.2 billion. I don't even know how he's surviving. He's got to be having a a difficult time surviving on $69.2 billion. He probably regrets donating those billions of dollars that he did. Uh, throughout his life. But anyway, Warren Buffett is struggling here with $69.2 billion. Elon Musk has 70.5. He's now racing up further and further up on this list. And the rate that Tesla's going, Elon Musk could be the richest person in the world anytime. This company is going up 10 or 20% per day. It's incredible to see. The share price is $1,544. The last trading date went up 10.7%. If we look at this year to date, the company has gained 259% in the past seven months. In the past six and a half months, 259%. Tesla has a market cap of $286 billion. That's worth about as much as JP Morgan Chase, the biggest bank in the United States. This is incredible to see, an incredible accomplishment by Elon Musk. And most of the companies like this that have this story have something in common. They really don't make money. That's the thing that they have in common. Tesla, a company worth almost $300 billion, lost $862 million of net income last year. That's one example, but Tesla isn't alone in this. Let's go ahead and look at a couple more. Shopify is another example. This is a great company, a great product, the online retail space. The the stock is up 153% year to date. 
the company's worth $120 billion. And likewise, Shopify really doesn't make money. They lost $124 million in 2019. So that's the net income that they lost. Uh, the similar story. Companies that really don't make a whole lot of money are the ones that are rewarding investors right now. We can take another example, Zoom. This is a company that's really made its name during this pandemic. It's benefited from people working from home. It's up 301% year to date. The market cap is $77 billion. It's a lot of money. Zoom had a net income in 2019 of $25 million. $25 million. That is pocket change for a company worth $77 billion. We have Square, the financial service merchant company for small retail stores. This company really has had modest gains in comparison. Year to date, it's only up 103%. And the market cap is, is just a small $56 billion. So this company has done okay, but not quite as much as Zoom or Shopify. If we look at the actual earnings, it might be because this company actually does earn some money. So Investors aren't piling into it as much because it does have some profits. It earned $375 million in 2019. Even with those earnings, it does have a 487 PE ratio. There's more examples we can look at. Companies like Nikola, companies like NIO. These are electric car companies. Nikola is a hybrid truck company. It's gone up year to date over 400%. The company is currently worth over $19 billion. And so far, they haven't made any trucks. So, so far, they're in the stage of just doing models and renderings of their truck. They're in the design and manufacturing stage. So people are buying this based on the assumption that they're going to make these trucks and sell them later on. So that's where the, the current state of this company's at. But regardless, it's worth about $20 billion. Ford Motor Company's worth $24 billion right now. That's pretty good for a company that so far actually hasn't made any trucks. Now, I know what people are going to say, that Joseph, the reason people are investing in these companies is not based off of the metrics. It's not based off the market cap or the net income growth or anything like that. It is based off the story. If we look at Tesla, the reason that people are buying this company is because of the story. It has a great story. It has a great leader. It's great technology. People believe that Tesla is going to be the future of vehicles. That's the reason people are investing in the stock is they're saying, well, I don't know about all the numbers. I just think this company is going to be the future of vehicles. I think it's going to overtake the market. They have the battery technology. They have the leadership. They have the cars. They're going to be the future. So that's the reason that people are mostly bullish about the stock. It's not based off of these normal traditional valuation metrics. The same thing can be said for Shopify. People aren't investing on it based off its 500 PE ratio or the market cap of $120 billion. They're investing in Shopify because they're saying, look, Everything is moving online, and Shopify is already positioned to take advantage of that. For anybody to start their own do-it-yourself store online, Shopify is already there, so I just want to have a piece of it. So I don't think that this should be discounted. The story of a stock is important. When you're looking at stocks to invest in, you want to look at things past the numbers. You want to look at the story. Now, having looked at all these companies, I think it would be good to ask the question what a company actually is. What does a company actually do, the purpose of it? I know most people probably know what this is, what a company is, but I think it would be good to do a refresher course because when you're buying a company like Tesla, let's say, let's say the circle represents Tesla, what is the purpose of Tesla? The purpose of every company is to do one thing, and that's to generate wealth. That is the basic purpose of every single company. It does it for three major parties. It does it for shareholders. It does it for the employees. And it does it for the customers. That's all a company really does. 
People try to attach all sorts of different meanings to companies, and they're saving the world. They're doing all these different things. But when it really comes down to it, companies exist to do one basic thing. That is to generate wealth for each party involved. The way that they do that with customers is the customer buys something that they believe will enrich their lives more than the price they pay for it. The reason that I spend $700 on an iPhone is because I believe the iPhone is going to offer me more value than the $700 I paid for it. That's what it does. That's how I become wealthier as an individual by buying that device. In the case of Tesla, the people that are going out and buying Teslas believe that the innovation, the technology, the comfort, the safety from their their cars, it offers them more value than the price they're paying for it. That's how the customer is enriching their life. The employee's relationship is very simple. They're getting paid to go to work. That is a very simple, no-risk relationship. They go to work, they earn a salary. That generates wealth for the employee. The shareholder gets wealthy by the company growing its revenue, growing their net income, and offering products and services for cheaper than the cost of making them. They can return that money to the shareholder through capital appreciation, share buybacks, and dividends. That's how the shareholder gains wealth. So everybody in this transaction becomes wealthier because of the company's existence. That is the basic reason that they even exist. Now, while the relationship is really simple and easy for the employees and customers, it's easy to see how they benefit and how they get wealth from the company. The relationship is a little bit more complex for the shareholder. There's a lot more risk involved. That's why people lose money investing in stocks. So I want to focus specifically on the shareholder because we're all investors here. I want to talk about how they actually gain wealth. To do this, I want to reference this presentation from Bridgewater. That's a big hedge fund. This is Greg Jensen, the CIO of Bridgewater, and he's going to define what wealth actually is. Yeah, well, the first thing is that just to recognize that any wealth, whether it's debt that somebody owes you or equity valuation, is a draw on somebody's future income. Somebody has to pay you back for the debt. Or in the case of being a shareholder in a stock, somebody's got to generate the profits for you to get your percentage of those profits. So all wealth is, is a draw on somebody's future income. And so you can't get them too far out of line or else... The incomes can't pay on the wealth. That's how he defines wealth. Very simply, he says, so all wealth is, is a draw on somebody's future income. And that makes perfect sense. He gives the example of debt, that if you own a bond, that's considered an asset, it's considered wealth, but that is on the presumption that they are going to pay that bond back plus interest with their future income. If they don't have the future income to pay you back, no longer is that an asset. No longer is it wealth. The same thing could be said for rental apartments. People that are real estate investors and they buy rental apartments, all the wealth there is based off the assumption of other people's future income, renting those places out and paying a portion of their income as rent. Without that future income, there's no wealth there. And then if I rewind a couple seconds, I want to play this part because it's the most applicable. He's talking about what wealth is in terms of a company. Or in the case of being a shareholder in a stock, somebody's got to generate the profits for you to get your percentage of those profits. In the case of the shareholder, the company needs to generate the wealth to be able to distribute that to the shareholders. That's very basic. This seems very straightforward. If you actually think about it for a minute, the company has to make profits to be able to distribute those profits to the owners of the company. If there's no profits from the company, there's no wealth to be distributed to the owners. The reason that the companies can have enormous market caps is because people can pile money into anything, even if it doesn't generate wealth. We saw that with Bitcoin. The price went up to almost $20,000 a coin when it's something that doesn't generate anything. It doesn't really do anything. It's a, a blockchain technology, right? So we've seen this in the past. 
Things can go up in price, but that doesn't mean that it's going to return wealth to shareholders. The way that actual wealth is returned to shareholders is through the generation of profits. So in the case of Tesla, shareholders are pricing in a lot of growth in profits. They believe that this company is not only going to become from unprofitable to profitable, they believe it's going to make an enormous amount of money in the future. That's the only way to justify its current price, is if you believe that Tesla is going to be the future, you have an extremely high conviction of that, and you're willing to take the escalating risk of the price going up and up. The further the price goes up, the more risk the stock is to the shareholder. If the profits generated from future customers do not meet the prices that shareholders are currently setting it at, eventually those two things will come closer together. Eventually the price of the stock will come down. So this is the risk that you're taking. If you're an investor in Tesla or you're looking at entering this company, realize that you're pricing in an incredible amount of profit growth in the future. Now, as far as the valuation of these type of companies, Tesla, Zoom, Shopify, there's someone I want to go and hear his opinion of. It's Aswat Damodaran. He's an NYU professor. He's considered the dean of valuation. He has lots of lectures for free on YouTube that are really great. Here's his opinion on stocks like Tesla and Zoom and their surge upwards. I think in subsets, you're seeing, you can see this with Zoom as well, where people are focusing on winners. They want to make a lot of money quickly. And these winners are benefiting from that search for, let's find the stock that's going to double, triple. Now, the danger with that is you take a stock like Zoom, I think it's been pushed up way too much, notwithstanding the fact that it too shall benefit from the crisis. So I think what what investors are doing is I think they're highlighting the right companies that are going to benefit from the crisis, but they're overbuying these stocks, pushing the price up too much. These are great companies. They're great products. They're the right stocks to buy, but people are pushing them up to too high valuations. That's his belief on it. He's asked specifically about Tesla and their valuation. Now, I would not buy Tesla at, at 1400 or 1450 or wherever it's trading. It's like a moving target. But I would not call somebody who buys Tesla crazy because the minute you use the word bubble, you're saying people who buy it are crazy. I don't think they're crazy. They're rational in their own way. I just don't. It's not a rationality I buy into. I mean, I describe Tesla as an implausible story, but not an impossible story. There is a plausible story you can tell that will get you to 1500 It's not a story that I would buy into, that I want to bet on. So he doesn't think Tesla's worth betting on at its current share price. He understands why people are doing it. The story that Tesla makes is a really good story, but the share price is very high right now. For Tesla to justify a $280 billion market cap, it does need to have a tremendous amount of future profits from the customers. It needs to create an enormous amount of products and be able to sell that for a lot more than the cost of making it. So that is the story of Tesla. Maybe they will be able to do that in the future, but that's not a risk that I'm willing to take at the current price. So looking at these type of companies, companies like Tesla, Shopify, Zoom, Square, Nikola, NIO, all these companies that the stock price has soared over the the past six months and continues to go up with seemingly no end in sight. The temptation is to rush into these stocks. And that's the urge that I get as an investor. I want to make money just like anybody else. I would like to invest in a stock and have it go up, let's see, about 60% in a couple weeks. That would be great. There's companies like Zoom that continue to just go up with, again, seemingly no end in sight. So as an investor, the question is, is why am I not dumping my money into these? I can listen to my intuition. Every part of me wants to pile money into these companies. I want to see the same story and have the same success. But then there's people I listen to that seem to have completely contrary advice, Warren Buffett being one of them. Warren Buffett has given warnings specifically of this type of investment behavior. 
investors behave in very human ways, which is they get very excited during bull markets and they look in the rearview mirror and they say, I made money last year, I'm going to make more money this year, so this time I'll borrow, you know, or, or the neighbor says, you know, I wasn't in last year when that neighbor was dumber than I, I made a lot of money, so I'm going to go in this year. So they're always looking in the rearview mirror. And when they look in the rearview mirror and they see a lot of money having been made in the last few years, they plow in and they just push and push and push on prices. And when they look in the rearview mirror and they see no money having been made, they just say, this is a lousy place to be. So they don't care what's going on in the underlying business. And it's, it's astounding, but that's, that makes for a huge opportunity, just huge opportunity. People behave very peculiarly in, in, in terms of the reactions because they, they're human beings and they, they get excited when others get excited, they get greedy when others get greedy, they get fearful when others get fearful, and they'll continue to do so. And you will, you know, you will see things you won't believe in your lifetime and securities markets. And the country will do very well over time, but you will see these huge waves. And, and, and uh, if you can stay objective throughout that, if you can detach yourself temperamentally from the crowd, you get very rich and you won't have to be, be very bright. This is a speech that Warren Buffett gave in 2001, and he says that investor behavior is not going to change. That's the way people are. When they're afraid of something, they become more afraid of it. And people sell out of companies to the point where they're incredibly undervalued. When people find something that they like, that they get excited about, they push the price up and up and up. The question is, is, is that happening now? And if so, what stocks is this happening to? And do we have the ability to detach our emotions and have the right temperament to be able to value companies based on the underlying asset? That's what Warren Buffett has always focused on is the company that you're buying, the amount of profits that it's making, the future direction that it's going, and is it going to return real value to the shareholder? A little later in the same speech, he talks specifically about this tendency with internet companies. See if this has any resemblance to what you see happening this year. Things can go on a long time that don't make sense. And, but they do come to an end. I mean, the internet thing. I mean, you had these companies selling for many billions of dollars that had no, really practically no prospects of making any money. That, that's, a, that's a bubble. But Herb Stein one time said, anything that can't go on forever will end. Now that seems pretty uh, But think about that. And uh, particularly think about it next time you're trying to do something just because the stock's gone up a whole lot, you know, and your neighbor's made money or something. It, uh, you've got to be, you just have to sit and think objectively and, and think about, would I buy this whole business? If it's an internet company, it's got... 100 million shares out and selling at 100, that's $10 billion. Is it worth $10 billion? If it's worth $10 billion, it's got to be able to give you, you know, seven or 800 million next year. And if it doesn't give you seven or 800 million next year, <clears throat> it has to give you maybe 10% more than that the year after and continue to. There aren't a lot of businesses that can do that. And people just go crazy. And of course, it's fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's like that sign they, they put. In brokerage offices, it says, avoid hangovers, stay drunk. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just so much fun to keep playing. But uh, you gotta, you got to do sensible things to get, to get good results. So what do we do? Do we listen to Warren Buffett's advice? It's more difficult to do. It's certainly not as fun. He's saying to avoid buying companies because other people have bought them. Avoid buying them just because the price has gone up. But focus on companies that you're getting a good deal, that the underlying asset's producing a lot of cash and ones that are trading below what they really are worth. 
That's difficult to do. That's much easier said than done. So looking at my portfolio, I'm obviously more focused on Warren Buffett's type of advice. I'm trying to ignore the buzz in certain stocks and investing based off the premise that the price has already gone up. That's not the reason that I'm investing in companies. I'd rather look at sectors that have been really beaten down and see if there's companies trading under their real value. With real estate, it's gone down about 30% since the beginning of the year. I'm down $3,300 just in this one sector. But the companies that I own are doing well. They're profitable. They're collecting rent. So I'm not really worried about that. Even if it keeps trading down, as long as the companies are profitable, it's not really a concern to me. The same thing with consumer. A lot of these companies have traded down recently, even though the companies are still doing really well financially. We can take a look at finance. I've been buying a lot of JP Morgan Chase. This bank has gone down about 30% year to date. And in 2019, during normal times, this company made $36 billion in net income. $36 billion. So assuming the economy will return back to normal at some point, hopefully JP Morgan will be able to up their profits and be able to return a lot of money to shareholders. That's another company that I've been buying during this time. So overall, that's what I've been doing with my portfolio. But I want to go through and highlight one specific company that I've been buying quite a bit of recently. It's a tech company. This isn't typical for me. I usually don't put a lot of money in tech companies. I am buying one of them. And unlike the tech companies we've recently looked at, this one makes a lot of money. This one makes a tremendous amount of money. It's Apple. I've been buying quite a bit of Apple stock. I've been selling out of some short-term bonds as well as adding new money and buying new shares of it. And I'm going to continue to do this in the future. I plan on owning a lot of Apple and I wanted to go through some of the reasons why. The first reason why I'm buying Apple stock is a really simple one. I like the company. I like the products that they sell. I like the devices they make. I like the services that they have. So I'm overall a fan of Apple. I realize not everybody is. People have their opinions. Some people like Google and Android and that ecosystem better. Totally understand. Everybody has their preferences. Everybody has their opinions. Apple is a company that I like, though. I like their products. So that's a a reason why I'm buying the stock, but it's certainly not the only one. The biggest reason why I'm buying it is the valuation of it. When I go and I look at different technology companies with the potential of Apple, and I try to compare them together, Apple has the lowest multiple, meaning that investors are pricing in the lowest amount of growth with Apple. And I think that they're pricing in an erroneously low amount of growth in it. Apple is currently trading at a 30 PE ratio. Historically, it's traded at a 15 PE ratio. I think that that's really low considering the company has been transitioning from a hardware device company to a software company. So let me take a look at some comparisons. If we look at Facebook, this is a software company. It's trading at a higher PE ratio, 33. Still pretty low though. Those are pretty comparable. If we look at Microsoft, this is a software company, 37 PE ratio, higher than Apple's. We look at Netflix, the streaming giant, 84 PE ratio. We look at Amazon, 159 PE ratio. So investors are pricing in a lot of growth for Amazon, much more than Apple. And then we even look at companies that aren't tech companies. If we look at Nike, Nike has a higher PE ratio than Apple. Nike's is at 41 compared to Apple's 30. So investors are pricing in more growth for Nike than they are for Apple. Even looking at Costco, it's 38. So when I look at the multiple of Apple, the fact that they have a 30 PE ratio, when I research into this, the reason why Apple has been priced with a lower PE ratio than basically all of its competitors, it's because it's priced as a hardware company. Hardware companies have lower multiples because there's more risk involved with them. They don't have that residual income that the software companies have. I think that this is erroneous pricing. 
Apple is moving into becoming a software company, and I think that they have the same stickiness with their products that any other software company has. Apple basically at this point is a variety of different companies. It's a tech company, it's a hardware company, but it's also becoming a healthcare company. Here's an update on the Apple Watch. Apple Watch not only helps you stay connected and active, it's become an intelligent guardian of your health, enabling you to take an ECG, detect falls, and call emergency services for you. Apple Watch continues to take share of the Fitbit in the health sector. In fitness and health, the Apple Watch offers a lot, and in the next update, they're going to offer quite a bit more. The next thing that they say they're offering is sleep tracking. This was one of the main benefits of the Fitbit, was to see your sleep patterns, and if you're getting really good sleep, now Apple Watch is getting into that sphere with their next update. So I think they're making this huge push into healthcare. They're also a finance company. Apple has their MasterCard. They're going into the banking system combined with Goldman Sachs to promote their credit card. And they can do this because it's integrated with their phone. So they have an inherent advantage owning the ecosystem to be able to promote their own credit card. So they're a tech hardware company. They're a healthcare company. They're a finance company. And they're a movie and TV production company with Apple TV+. This has to have some type of separate value and separate multiple on it. They're making really big budget films. They have people like Tom Hanks in this movie, Greyhound. These look like really high production films. This is coming at $5 a month. I think that they're going to be able to get a lot of subscribers to their service if they continue doing this. And this has to have a higher multiple. Look at the multiple that Netflix has. Apple's is far below that. And beyond that, they have their services, which they continue to grow like Apple Music. It's competing with Spotify. And they do well because they have it really well integrated with their ecosystem, with all their devices. A lot of people sign up for these services, which I think deserve a higher multiple. So the biggest reason why I want to buy Apple right now is I like the products they make, and it's trading at a relatively low multiple compared to virtually all of its competitors. Now, Apple's currently the most valuable publicly traded company with a market cap of $1.7 trillion. And I think that that's Kind of insane that a company that's worth $1.7 trillion, I think, is of good value right now. I think it's probably undervalued of where it really should be, but that's where I'm at with it. I see Apple as a hardware company, as a healthcare company, as a, a financial company, a fintech. I see it as a movie production company, as a music streaming company. It's the dominant company in my mind when it comes to wearables, the AirPods, activewear. I think it's a very dominant company, and it controls the market right now for probably the most important device which is your phone. So this is a company I do think has a lot of room to grow. Eventually, I believe it will be above $2 trillion. So I'm buying it right now. The price might go down. I might go down 20 or 30% after buying it. That happens sometimes, but I'm in this for the long term. And Apple's a stock I feel comfortable buying. Now, as far as the dividend, this is probably the biggest downside if you're a dividend growth investor is Apple has a very low starting yield for its dividend. They're paying 82 cents a quarter per share, which comes to about a starting yield of... 0.8%. So it's a very low starting yield. They have been growing the dividend every single year at a rate of about 10% per year. So they're growing it above average, which is a good thing. And more importantly, they've been doing this while having the payout ratio decline, meaning that they have an extremely safe dividend payout. There's really no chance of them cutting this dividend. They have been earning more in profits every single year than that 10% growth rate of the dividend. So that's a really good sign. Even though they have a low starting yield, they have an extremely safe dividend that likely will continue to grow in the future. So that's the basic reason why I've been buying Apple. If you want to know more detail or at least know ahead of time when I'm making these buys, you can consider joining the Discord. 
It's a way to support the channel, as well as there's some secret projects we're working on that you get access to when you join the Discord. So you can check that out. It's $6 a month. You can cancel anytime. It's a monthly thing, but I'll leave a link in the description of this video if you're interested in that. Now, in other news, in a follow-up from the previous episode, TikTok is back under scrutiny again. Amazon sent out this email to every employee ordering them to delete the app off of their phone. And then a couple hours later, they retracted that email. So this is Amazon now dealing with TikTok, which is different because before it's been the U.S. government, it's been Mike Pompeo, maybe they're just playing politics, there's all this politics at play with China, but this is Amazon. Now, a couple hours after sending out that first email, they did send out another one retracting the first one. They say, quote, this morning's email to some of our employees was sent in error. There is no change to our policies right now with regards to TikTok. Oops. We didn't mean to send this email out. That really wasn't our policy. It doesn't make a lot of sense. We don't know why Amazon originally sent out this email. We don't know why they retracted it later on. Uh, It could be concerns that they just don't want people filming in their office space, making TikToks in their office space. It could be a lot more in-depth security concerns. So we don't have all the answers. This makes other people question whether they should trust TikTok or not. Senator Josh Howley says, quote, now the whole federal government should follow suit. So he's saying if Amazon's concerned about security, maybe the federal government should be too. So this is something that TikTok is going to continually have to deal with. This complete scrutiny because of its association being a Chinese company. In the Wall Street Journal, it says that TikTok's security has come under scrutiny in recent months. In March, security researchers found that TikTok was one of several dozen iPhone apps that were silently accessing data copied into the phone's clipboard without authorization. Basically, Apple made this update that you can see if another app is copying your clipboard as you're typing. And you can see the notification happen after notification when this person is typing into Instagram. So he's currently typing in the Instagram and it says TikTok pasted this from Instagram. So this is where some security concerns have come up. They say this security issue could give TikTok a way of accessing any sensitive information such as passwords, email messages, banking information. TikTok actually responded to this. They said that it was an anti-spam feature. None of the data actually left the device and that they had removed the feature. So they're saying nothing nefarious about it. But whether you want to believe TikTok or not, This email being sent out by Amazon, even though it was retracted, certainly adds more fuel to this drama. Okay, let's move on to emails. The first one is from Adam. He says, Hi, Joseph. I have been following your content and your portfolio for a while now and really like all of your content. I noticed that you have been increasing your allocation in tech with respect to the rest of your portfolio. I was curious as to your reasoning behind this. Has there been a realization of the sector that has given you more confidence or is it because the recent recession that you want to purchase reliable companies apple microsoft at a discounted price i'd love to know your thoughts keep up the good work yes adam this is a good question and there is multiple reasons why i'm increasing the amount of tech in my portfolio i've looked over this year with this recession and i think it's good to observe how different sectors have performed and it goes without saying that tech has held up really well in comparison to other sectors. Basically, name off any other sector and tech has done the best, which is interesting because you look at growth companies, mostly technology companies. And historically, these are the companies that they grow really fast. But when things go south, they're the ones that come crashing down. This has been the opposite. Technology companies have both grown at a rapid pace, but they're also becoming defensive. Look at Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Netflix. All these stocks are doing fine. They've gone up in value during this recession and pandemic. Other sectors that are normally more defensive, the more slow-growing 
uh, conservative companies that don't have as much growth priced into them, they're the ones that have been completely destroyed this year. So I'm looking at this and my portfolio. Part of it is I want to be defensive. I want a defensive portfolio. And I'm looking at companies like Apple and Microsoft. And not only are they getting growth, not only are they paying out shareholders and share buybacks and dividends at an incredible rate, but they're also defensive. Apple is doing really well. It has a fortress built around it with its uh, ecosystem. It has $200 billion of cash sitting on the sidelines. It has a variety of different services and products that it has. I just look at it and I wonder, what is the real risks with this company? When would it get hurt more than other companies? And it's difficult for me to really try to find a scenario where Apple doesn't do well. So I'm buying a lot of Apple because I consider a defensive company that distributes a lot of cash flow that I think has a very bright future ahead of it. It's what I consider a lot of different companies. So even though the market cap is $1.7 if you broke up that market cap into the different components of their company, it doesn't seem that crazy anymore. If you look at the healthcare aspect of it, the fintech aspect of it, the movie production, just their phone, everything about the company, if you add that together, I really think it's worth more than the current market cap. So uh, there's multiple reasons why. It's a defensive company. It pays out consistent cash flow. It'll help balance the portfolio more. Most of my portfolio is swayed towards capital intensive companies that really aren't quite as scalable. So adding some Apple in my portfolio, I think will balance it out a little bit more. Now, I will mention that I still have a lot of real estate, a lot of utilities, I own a lot of AT&T. There's a lot of other companies that I'm buying that are really high cash flow companies. I recently purchased a lot of JP Morgan Chase, which is more of a macro bet on the economy recovering. I think the banks will do really well if that happens. So there's a lot of other bets that I have going on right now. But including Apple as a significant bet in my portfolio is one that I'm pretty confident of. I have no issue putting money into that company. I think it's a great addition to the portfolio and I plan on adding as much Apple as I can. So that's part of the reason why. I think it will make for a stronger portfolio overall. Okay, I think we're going to end the episode there. I appreciate everybody for listening. It's going to be, I think, a busy news week. We have a lot of earnings reports, the bank's earnings. It'll be interesting to see what they say. So I'll be doing another episode later this week. We'll catch up on the news. I will see you guys then.